I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. When it comes to what we should pray and why we should pray, you normally encounter two types of people. There are some who feel intimidated about praying in front of anybody, especially in front of a large crowd, and they need guidance on how to do it and what to say, while others who are confident often spend time only in one area of prayer. They focus in on illnesses and ailments, trials and struggles that people have. They focus all their time on supplication and they neglect adoration of God, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. All of those things need to be the focus of our prayers because they are the focus of God's people's prayers in Scripture. That's why it's so very important, no matter what ideas we have about prayer, that we look to what Scripture teaches on what prayer is and how to do it. When we do, we find that God has a lot to say on the subject. There's a lot to say about prayer, what it is, and why it's needed, and how to do it. Many have the mentality that it doesn't matter how you pray as long as you pray. Now, remember that when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them to pray, what does he say? He says, when you pray, say. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. God cares about the way we approach him in prayer and the content of our prayers, which is the reason for the instruction on how to do it and the many examples that he gives us in his word. In Colossians 1, we find one such example. We have a, a model on how to pray, why to pray, what we should pray as we look at the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Christians in Colossae. Last week, we discussed verses 3 through 9 of Colossians chapter 1, and we discussed why Paul prayed for the Colossians. We learned that what prompted Paul to pray was not the troubles that the Christians in Colossae were having with false teachers. That would, that's what you would expect. That's probably the reason Paul prayed. No, he prayed initially for their faithful response to God's gospel. Paul says in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, 
Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Skip down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, heard of what? Heard of your faith in Christ. Heard of your love for one another. Heard of the hope you have for heaven. We have not ceased to pray for you. And we talked about last week how oftentimes when people are doing good spiritually, we stop praying. Okay, I've got to pray for those now who need it. No, they need it, right? We all need it. Paul shows here that, that every spiritual work in a believer's life should motivate you to pray for them. Have you been praying for faithful Christ followers this week? We should pray when God is doing a great work in the heart and life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? So that our brothers and sisters in Christ grow in godliness for the betterment of their household, for the building up of the church, and for the advancement of God's kingdom. We should also pray for them because they are the very ones targeted by Satan and his demons. They don't waste any time on believers who are sidelined. They look to sideline faithful Christ followers. You need to pray for them. We said that when you forsake sin and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you set yourself against a world that is set against God. You better believe that the world's going to push back. That the enemy is going to push back. We must be prayed up and prayed for as we continue in our pursuit of godliness. So those are a few of the reasons why we should pray. What are we to pray? Let's look at that today. We have discussed why Paul prayed. He prayed because God was doing a work in the midst of the Christians at Colossae. He prayed because he had heard of their faith in Christ. He prayed because he had heard of the love that they had for one another. And he had heard of the hope that they have of heaven. Now let's look at what Paul prayed for the Colossians. Number one, Paul prayed they know the will of God. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, here's what, what he's going to pray, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We, we said two weeks ago that false teachers in this church at Colossae had risen up and they were teaching that there is this secret knowledge that only a select few special people had that set them apart from the rest. I use the illustration of when we were young and we had a clubhouse. You had to have a secret password to get in. That's what they were teaching in Colossae. There is this secret code, this Bible code, this secret code that if you unlock that, it's going to open a door for you that's not open for everybody, and you're going to be in a special place in, in God's kingdom. They were teaching that. Notice Paul's prayer here is directed toward all the believers at Colossae, all of them to be filled with the true knowledge of God's will, not found by a select few in secrecy, but revealed to all who read and believe God's word. 
Paul prayed that they would know the will of God from the word of God, that they would understand it, that they would do it. He wanted them to be filled with the knowledge of what God had called for them to be and do so they would understand God's will and live accordingly. If Paul is praying that all of them understand the will of God, do you think we can come to understand the will of God? Many have a wrong view on the will of God. They, they view it kind of like a, the, that maze, you know, that your, your, your kids get at the, on their menu, kids' menu at a restaurant. They, they believe there is one right path, but it contains a lot of dead ends, and you just got to get in there and figure it out. Many, many view believers kind of like a mice in a maze, fighting to, to figure out God's mysterious and, and, and hidden will. Many, many believe and, and just wander aimlessly through life thinking you just got to hit a lot of dead ends. And when you hit a dead end, you just reverse course and pursue something new. God's will for our lives is never intended to be that way. It's not, it's not like working our way through a maze. God has clearly laid out for us how we are to live from his word. He tells us in his word, one, it is his will for people to be saved from sin and restored to him. You don't have the, I don't have these up on the screen, but you can jot these down. God makes this clear in his word. It is his will for people to be saved from sin and restored to him. This is not a secret message. Clearly seen, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with you each and every week in the word that is preached, in the songs that are sung, in the communion meals that we take together, in the mission trip reports and mission reports that we share, in the study guides we give you, in the sermon-based children's lessons we write because we know clearly that God wants you to know Him. That is His will. He wants to see lost sinners turn from sin and give their lives up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has gone to great lengths to make his gospel message known to us. He reveals himself to us in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He also gave us his written word and he sent us his son to save us. Christ came to live and die and rise again to save you from sin and restore you to a right relationship with God through him. It is God's will for people to be saved from sin and restored to him. Here's the second thing. It is God's will for his people to grow in godliness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God. That doesn't sound too secretive, does it? It's a gigantic arrow saying... Will of God, will of God, will of God, will of God. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Not only does God want you to be saved, but he wants you to grow spiritually and become more and more like his son Jesus. God wants you to grow in what you know about him from his word so that you think rightly, believe rightly, and then live rightly. 
God wants you to grow in your love for him and your love for other believers and live your life with the hope of heaven. It's the will of God for his people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Sounds pretty clear, doesn't it? What is the will of the Lord? Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says here, it is the will of the Lord that believers not be intoxicated with wine, but under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. It's the will of God for his children to suffer. Now, we don't like that one, but it's true. Listen to 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Believers, we are not promised to be spared from suffering. Just look at our Messiah. Look at the apostles who have gone before us, those faithful in, in, in church history in the past. It's quite the opposite. We're told clearly in Scripture that when we are faithful to the Lord, when we, again, stand in opposition to the world, the world is going to strike back because the world is set against God. The ways of the world are counter to God's ways. As a result, the world will push back against us because it's set against Him. The Lord Jesus told his disciples this very thing. He told them the world will hate them because the world hated him. Peter comforts those suffering in accordance with God's will. He, he's encouraging them. He's comforting them. He, he tells them your soul belongs to the faithful creator. And he encourages them then to do good and follow hard after Jesus. That's the proper response. God's will is clearly spelled out for believers in his word. It is his will for us to be saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, and to suffer. Paul prayed that the Christians at Colossae know God's will for their lives so that they would believe rightly and live rightly. Most of Paul's letters to, to the churches, they, they follow a similar format. He begins with the indicatives. Now, it's important that you understand this. The Bible has more indicatives than imperatives. Now, we, we immediately look into the word oftentimes, what am I supposed to do? What, what's, the, what's the activity of my life supposed to be? But God addresses more of how we're to think. The indicatives. What we know. And then he ends with the imperatives, how we should live. That's the way Paul wrote a lot of his letters. We've said it time and time again in here. What we know biblically, our theology is so very important because it influences what we believe, which influences what we say and do. 
That's the most practical case I can make for you on why we should study theology. Right thinking leads to right believing, which leads to right living. That is why we focus so much in this church on Bible teaching. If you don't think rightly in accordance with God's word, you will not believe rightly. And if you don't believe rightly, then you won't live rightly. You don't study God's word, you will not be filled with the knowledge of God's will and will be without understanding and wisdom and you will walk aimlessly through this life apart from God. I got nothing better to give you than the word of God. Nothing better. So that's what I'm going to serve up. That's the best I got. Last week, you were challenged to be praying for mature and fruitful Christ followers in our church. Here's something specific to be praying for. Ask that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray that God grow them in what they know from his word. We, We often pray for godly behavior, but we don't often pray for people to have correct theology. For people to have sound doctrine. Paul praised this for his fellow believers here in Colossae. And we should as well. When's the last time that you took time to pray for someone's theology? It's biblical to pray in this way. We should pray that God fill our brothers and sisters in Christ with the knowledge of his will from his word so that they think rightly and believe rightly and live rightly. We should also pray that they be sanctified and spirit-filled, that they be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ and pray that they suffer well in trusting their souls to the faithful creator while they do good. Good prayers to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray that that we know the will of God. We need to also pray that we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That's point number two. Paul prayed they walk worthy. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The book of Colossians has many similarities to the book of Ephesians. We, we preached, I preached through Ephesians a while back. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the believers of his day, and in the first three chapters, he just lays out the indicatives. What believers should know about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for them through his life, death, and resurrection and who they now are in Christ. What we know, very important, okay? I want you to get that, take that home with you. The first half of Ephesians is all indicatives and no imperatives. And then comes chapter 4. Paul gives the great therefore in that chapter. And whenever you come across a therefore, what are you to ask? What's it there for? What's the therefore therefore? It's pointing you back to what Paul has just said. He said, therefore, considering all that Christ has accomplished for you and saving you in light of you being made alive together with Christ by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Christ alone, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then in the second half of of Ephesians, Paul continues with with the indicatives, but he also gives the imperatives. He shows what it looks like to walk worthy. 
What does that mean? Walk worthy. Walk is a reference used in Scripture in, in reference to, it's a, it's a word used in reference to the Christian life and all it entails. Paul is, is, is talking about how believers should live. He is talking about a life of faith. He first prayed for them to have a complete knowledge of the will of God. He prays that they know that it is God's will for them to be saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, and suffer well. And to walk worthy means that believers should then live their lives in light of what they know. Walking worthy is living your life for Christ in light of what you know about him and who you are in him. That's what it means to walk worthy. They, knowing what it looks like to be godly, should pursue godliness. Living their lives under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, they must, knowing what it looks like to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, be willing to suffer well and shine the light of God's gospel through suffering, showing that the Lord is their hope when times get tough and their days get dark. Paul is praying that the Christians at Colossae not simply talk a good Christian talk, but walk a worthy Christian walk. Are you praying this for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you praying they walk worthy of the calling to which they have been called? Are you praying for their growth in godliness, that they live their lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit being controlled by Him? Are you praying that when they suffer, they would stand strong and suffer well and entrust their souls to the Lord as they continue to do good. Again, that's going to be your challenge this week. Pray this for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray they be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Pray they be spirit-filled. Pray they walk worthy. Let's keep reading. That's verse 9. <laughs> I'm moving, I'm trying. Look at verse 10. Colossians 1.10. Paul prays they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. When I was younger, there was nothing worse for me to hear than for my dad and mom to tell me I'm disappointed in you. Many of you can relate. There was nothing better for me to hear them say than for them to say, we're so proud of you. Paul prays that the Christians at Colossae live a life that is fully pleasing to the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that in everything we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. When we trust in Christ alone, for our salvation, when we pursue godliness, when we live under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, when we suffer well, when we live like that, get this, we bring glory to God in the lives we live. And listen, while we love to hear the words, I'm so proud of you, while we, while we should long for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, Paul is not praying these things ultimately for the benefit of the Colossian Christians, but for the glory of God. Here's a good question for you to ask yourself. When examining how you're doing spiritually, ask yourself this. Is God's glory my supreme motivation in life? 
Is that your aim behind everything you pray? That is a mature question to ask and to wrestle with as a Christ follower. Is God's glory my supreme motivation in life? According to Paul, it should be. When you pray for one another, while you should pray that your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ walk in a manner worthy of the Lord for their benefit, for their joy, for their happiness, your supreme aim is that they live well for the glory of God. I'm going to put somebody on the spot this morning. They are getting nervous. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to put Brett Brewer on the spot this morning. I want, I want to pray this prayer for Brett. I want to show you what this prayer looks like. And while I'm giving you an example, know that this is a sincere prayer that I'm praying, that I'm calling you to pray. So I want you to, to pray for me, and I want, to, I want to pray this for Brett this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you fill Brett Brewer with the knowledge of your will and that he walk worthy of the calling to which he has been called. For his joy, yes, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how we're to pray for one another. Paul so prays they be fruitful. Look at verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, our, our spiritual lives are to be made up of knowing and doing. We're to be increasing in our knowledge of who God is through his word, growing in who he is and what he has done, our understanding of that, so that we, again, believe and live rightly and bear fruit in our lives. In scripture, people are often referred to as trees. That is the description that is used. And there are two types of trees. There are fruitful trees and there are barren trees. Take a wild guess at what kind of fruit tree we should be. Fruitful, right? God is very clear in his word that he desires for us to be fruitful. What is fruit in the Bible? Well, fruit refers to our attitudes and our actions, our words, and our deeds. Fruit is seen by others in us, in what we say, how we live, and the impact that our lives have on others. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this verse, and uh, when talking about fruit in particular, he says this. Look at this quote. Spiritual fruit is the byproduct of a righteous life. The Bible identifies spiritual fruit as leading people to Christ, praising God, giving money, living a godly life, and displaying holy attitudes, a deeper love for God's word, a more perfect obedience, a strong doctrinal foundation, an expanding faith, and a greater love for others. I'll keep that up for a minute so you can screenshot it. What type of tree are you? Are you a fruitful tree or a barren one? Think about a fruitful tree for a moment. A tree is viewed as being healthy and fruitful based upon how it appears, the fruit it produces, and how it reproduces. Banana trees, for example, 
I've never planted one, but I've read about them. They bear fruit and spread seeds that produce new banana trees. We're to be like that. How can we be fruitful in this way? Think of Psalm 1. Think of the parable of the good sower. We must be planted in good soil. We must be closely connected to our source for spiritual life. The psalmist says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Not even the leaves wither. Blessed is the man who knows God's will through his word, knows who God is, believes in God through his word, delights in God through his word. Blessed is the man who is firmly planted in the word of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is fruitful. Not one leaf of that man withers. I want to be like that. Do you? Is that your desire? That's Paul's prayer. For the Christians at Colossae, that should be our prayer for one another. He is praying that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will from his word. That they think rightly so they believe rightly and walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called and bear fruit. Are you praying this for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm going to call upon somebody else this morning. She didn't know I was going to do this. But I want to pray this for Connie Davis this morning. And again, while this is a sample prayer, this is a sincere prayer that I encourage you to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, I lift up Connie Davis to you this morning. I pray she'd be filled with the knowledge of your will from your word. I pray she think rightly about you so that she believe rightly and walk worthy for you. I pray she bears fruit in what she says and does and how she impacts others. I pray she live a righteous life and that righteous life lead others to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's how we're to pray for one another. We're also to to be in prayer that we, we be filled with divine power so that we can walk worthy. That's what Paul prays here. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul is praying that these Christians at Colossae be filled with the power of God. He doesn't pray that they have some power, but be strengthened with all power. Listen, for us to grow in our knowledge of who God is, for us to resist temptation, for us to walk worthy for the Lord, for us to please God with the lives we live, for us to bear fruit and impact others for the sake of God's gospel, we are in desperate need of God's power to do so. Are you praying for divine power? Are, are you asking God for the strength that you need to walk worthy? Are you praying that for others? Before the disciples were to go and fulfill the great commission that Christ had left for them, we're told that he told them to wait. Very unique, right? Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he's saying, come 
follow me, go as you're going, make disciples. He calls for them to come, calls for them to go. But, but after he leaves, he tells them to wait a moment. Why? Because they're in need of power from on high that is coming from the Holy Spirit. You will fail to think rightly. You will fail to walk worthy. You will fail to bear fruit. You will fail to please God apart from God's power. We are all in need of being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And guess what? God has this power in abundant supply and he graciously gives it to us. Hallelujah. Believers, you need to be praying for that power. You need to be praying that your brothers and sisters in Christ be empowered in this way. It looks like this. He didn't know I was going to do this. I'm going to pray this for my brother Ron Luce this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that Ron Luce be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. Give him the ability to increase in his knowledge of you, the power to resist temptation, the power to walk worthy, the power to please you with his life. Give him the ability to bear fruit, the power to impact others for the sake of your gospel. Give him your power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're to pray that for one another. Paul also prays that they persevere with joy. Don't miss that last phrase now. That's important. Persevere with what? With joy. We often view perseverance as barely making it. Right? Limping our way along. Surviving even though we don't like it. Paul says, for all endurance and patience with joy. Ligon Duncan says this, look at this quote, We do not go through these life experiences simply with our teeth gritted, nor do we go through it impassively without any feeling. No, Paul is saying, I know that you're going to be downcast, but even in your downcastness, I want you to experience joy. Now that is the good news of the gospel, that we can experience joy in the midst of immense sadness because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Paul prays for them to persevere like Jesus. How can we do this? Knowing the will of God helps, doesn't it? Knowing where we're headed really helps us stand strong until we get there. Knowing that we're pleasing God helps us. When God's glory is our motivation, we're able to patiently endure the trials of this life with joy. The, the fruit God produces in us and the impact we make for others, that makes it worth it, doesn't it? How else are we able to endure, patiently endure trials with joy? With God's power. We need His power. 
We must be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. We will not be able to endure without God's strength because our days are dark and the world is broken. On our prayer list this week, we learned of Diane Tedder's mother being placed in hospice care. I just talked to Diane before coming in here and she's rejoicing at the hope that her mother has, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord for that, but it still makes it, it's still difficult for her. I'd like to pray this prayer for her this morning and again, when while I'm giving you an example of this on how to pray, that does not lessen the sincerity of this prayer for Diane. So would you pray with me for her? Let's pray this prayer together. Father, I pray that you would give Diane the strength to stand strong through this difficult trial. While we, of course, pray for your hand in this situation, we also pray you help her endure this trial, looking to you and waiting on you. May the hope she has in you give her joy even in the midst of sadness. Strengthen her with all power according to your glorious might in Jesus' name. Amen. Last point. In addition to praying the Colossians know the will of God and walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called, Paul prayed they be thankful to the Father for their salvation. Don told you at the beginning we're going to be talking about thankfulness. That's a major point Paul makes here. Look at verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, amen? And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, amen? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, amen? We learned here, in addition to being thankful to God for all he's done for us, we, we, we learned from Paul's example that we should also pray for our Christian brothers and sisters to be thankful as well. Thankful for what? Well, we learn in Scripture that there are two main things that God is praised for. Creating and redeeming. He's creator and redeemer. He has made us. He has saved us. Don read Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Know that the Lord he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Creator, redeemer, savior. We are to praise God for life and breath and everything. We are to thank him for life eternal through his son Jesus. Paul is praying that the Colossians give thanks to the Father for salvation, for their inheritance, for redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is about to spend the rest of the chapter reminding the Christians at Colossae of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But before he does, he prays they be thankful for the work that he has accomplished on their behalf. He prays they give thanks to the Father who has made a way for lost sinners like them to have a share in the inheritance with the rest of God's children, the saints 
in light. I love that description. He prays they give thanks to God for saving them, for delivering them from the domain of darkness, for moving them from that place of judgment to the kingdom of His beloved Son. When is the last time you took time to praise God for His amazing grace? Truly, on your, on your own, by yourself, when's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you have called upon and prayed for your brothers and sisters in Christ to thank God for salvation? I think we ought to do that in small groups this week when we gather. Just spend some time praising God for His amazing grace. God has made a way for us to be delivered from the domain of darkness and moved into His glorious presence forever. How has He done that? How is that possible? How is God able to accomplish that work? How are we able to move from darkness to light, from death to life? Through Christ alone. Christ left heaven's riches and entered into this dark and broken world to deliver us from the domain of darkness and usher us in to the heavenly kingdom of light. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening online, and if you're being honest, you're not thankful for what Christ has accomplished because you've not yet become a recipient of this amazing work. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not been forgiven. You've not turned from your sin. You have not forsaken sin. You're not trusting in Christ for your salvation. If this is you, this is the invitation that I want to leave you with today that extends on into our communion portion of the service. I invite you today, right here, right now, turn from your sin. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation and be saved. Let's pray together.